in Proverbs chapter 13. And uh, you guys know, huh, going through these Proverbs, uh, I was thinking about tonight's study, how in one sense it teaches us how to have life and that more abundantly. And so, you know, uh, uh, life has salvation, a better life, a favorable life, an honorable life. You know, we're going to learn that tonight out of curiosity. Are any of you interested in having a better life? Anybody interested in having an honorable life? Oh, well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the importance of a, a good friend and what a difference a good friend makes. And so you got to surround yourself with people that love the Lord. We'll talk about the danger of pursuing evil and how if you're not careful, then eventually evil pursues you. You know, it's kind of like when you're doing drugs. At first you go and you think it's harmless and the next thing you know, you can't stop, man, because the enemy comes after you. We'll talk about things like that. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what we need. You know, I, I don't know if you guys ever think about leaving an inheritance to your children. Do you ever think about that? That's important. Or maybe even leaving an inheritance to your children's children. So things to think about. Um, when we get into the study, you guys are going to find out that I am a benefit of an inheritance and God has used it to provide for us in so many ways. And so, you know, real practical things, I think, in life as Christians to think about. We're also going to talk not just about leaving uh, an inheritance to your children. We're also going to talk about spanking your children. So you guys got to do that, okay? Some of you guys, you don't have kids yet. Some of you will. Some of you are right in the middle of it, but it's better to get a paddle and you drill holes in it. And that way, when you hit them with the paddle, um, it's not as bad and they kind of get a better... No, we'll, we'll talk about the rod because what you know, a lot of times what ends up happening and really a lot of the problems that we have, a lot of the chaos, a lot of the people we see that are out of control protesting on the streets, you know, in one sense are because mom and dad never disciplined them, believe it or not. So that's how important these things are. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, knowledge and uh, how it affects our actions. And so it is important to learn uh, things and to know God. And then we're going to end tonight on just the importance of the promise of spiritual satisfaction. Because we live in a world that says and it advertises, you know, you got billboards, you got commercials, and they tell you this is all you need. And if you get this, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be happy. Uh, you always need a little more, you know, and it's just this endless pursuit of stuff. And it's it's a bummer because that'll never satisfy. The only thing that will ever satisfy us is our personal and intimate relationship with God. And so it's very important. I just got started reading a book. It's called Contentment by Richard Swenson. And it's a great book because really the rich man is not the one who has more, or who has a lot. The rich man is the one who's content with what they have. And so we'll talk about stuff like that. All this in the Proverbs. But tonight we're in Proverbs 13 and verse 15. And we, we read right here, it says, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Um, how many of you want favor? You, maybe you want God to do a favor for you, you know? <laughs> Uh, you want favor with God, favor with men. How does it happen? Well, it says right here, it's by good understanding. And that's just that's about wisdom, you know, how, how uh, life works. And you grow up as a Christian. Sometimes you get Christians and they're like two-year-olds. You know, you say something that offends them and they have like these tantrums. And next thing you know, they pounce out. You know, they stomp out. Uh, I mean, we got to grow up. 
You know, when Jesus grew up, the Bible says in Luke 2.52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So some Christians, they never grow. Other Christians, it's really cool, they grow up. And as you grow and as you mature, then you're going to grow in favor with God and men. You know, people begin to see you favorably. God begins to see you favorably. And life begins to show favor to you. But the flip side here is that unfaithfulness, the unfaithful, the way of the unfaithful, it says, is hard. Okay, so let's make sure we got this clear, that there are certain things in life that are inevitable. There are certain things that we can't prevent. We can't stop Hurricane Laura, so to speak. You know, We can't stop uh, some of the things like a pandemic, or we can't prevent a, a person from mistreating us. There are some things that are inevitable, but there are other things that are preventable. And so when you're talking about a hard life, it's already hard, but we don't want to make it harder by being fools. And so, you know, good understanding gains favor with God and men, but the way of the unfaithful, that, that's hard. You know, and so you want to live your life according to the Proverbs. You know, let's just say there's a man and he's having a hard time with his wife. Uh, what does he do? Does he go and find another girl? If he does, he's going to mess up his life. He's going to make it even harder. He's going to run from one problem to another problem because he doesn't know how to be a husband. What does he need to do? Does he need to run away? No, he needs to face what God has given to him and be a good husband to the wife that he has, to love her. You know, and because uh, I've seen this one guy and he didn't like his wife and so he leaves his wife for another girl and next thing you know, um, his kids are against him. His, his you know, ex-wife, of course, is against him and, and his whole life falls apart. So the way of the unfaithful, that's a hard life. And so you don't want to bring those things upon you. That's all he's saying right here. You know, you've probably heard those words that living life as a Christian is hard. And in one sense, it's true. But not living life as a Christian is harder. Remember that. It might be fun for a season, but eventually that catches up to you. Verse 16, it says, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. You know, Proverbs thirteen sixteen in the NLT, it says it this way, that wise people think before they act, while fools don't, and even brag about their foolishness. Now, sometimes you see some of the things that people do, and you ask yourself, what were they thinking? And the answer is they weren't right? <laughs> you know, what we find here is that um, uh, every prudent man, he acts with knowledge. And, and that's why it's important to have knowledge. Let me ask you a question. How well do you know the Bible? You know, some people, they barely know it. Some people, they only open it up when they come to church, you know, and even then they're thinking about other things. But man, when you dive into the scriptures and you begin to know the, the Bible and you begin to learn the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Hosea and Amos and First Peter and all the different books, Revelation is not hard to interpret. Some people say it is. It's not. It's not hard. So the prudent man, he acts with knowledge. He knows God. He knows the word of God. 
he knows the will of God. He knows the ways of God. And that's why he acts that way. That's the whole book of Acts are about apostles who acted with knowledge. You know, I, I pray that you know the Lord, man, that you really know the Lord, that you have a personal and intimate relationship with him. You know, then John 17, 3, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so it's all about knowing God. It's all about knowing the word of God. Uh, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 God says, my people, think about that, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I wasn't really that smart. That, that, that's not the issue. I'm telling you, man, people with dyslexia or people that didn't even know how to read are now pastors. And they know the word of God because the word of God is a spiritual book. And so God's people sometimes are destroyed because, you know, their pastor, people told them, hey, you should listen to the Lord and read the Bible, but they never do. And God's people, he says, my people end up missing out. Verse 17, it says, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. And so a wicked messenger who falls into trouble would be a messenger who fails to deliver the truth. He's no good to himself or to anyone else. You know, sometimes when I'm teaching the Bible, I'm going to offend people. And if I want to, there are some pastors out there that they, they don't want to offend anybody. You know, they don't want to teach the Bible because they're, they're, they're worried about losing people. But, but, that's a wicked messenger who is only uh, concerned with, well, what are they going to think? I mean, I love you guys. I love all of you. But one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to ask me, did you teach the Bible? Did you teach the pure gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you tell them to how, how to be saved? You know, a wicked messenger, he falls into trouble. You know, a wicked messenger, he has his own agenda. He has his own message. He doesn't deliver what his master has asked him to. That's a wicked messenger. But a faithful, notice now he changes the word to ambassador. A faithful ambassador is a blessing. I, and you guys know, huh? An ambassador is not only a messenger. He's also the deemed diplomat. He's an official representative of one nation, perhaps to another foreign nation. Okay, you guys, and I want to say this in a general sense, you can't run from it. You are messengers. You are ambassadors. You're citizens of heaven planted on this foreign country called Earth, and God wants us to share the message, and God wants us to be representatives of him. So it, it is partially what we say, and it's also just who we are. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And when we're faithful, when you're faithful, God will use you to help other people be healthy Christians. And that's all that matters. It says right there that a faithful ambassador brings health. You know, like, like I said earlier, in one sense, it's applicable to all of us. I think we're all in that place. But also, I think if you're here and you're a teacher, it is fearfully applicable to us. 
Because if you're not faithful in teaching the word of God, then one day you're going to stand before God. And the Bible says in James chapter 3, it says that not, many, that not many of you become teachers, knowing you'll receive a stricter judgment. And so if I didn't teach the Bible, and if I didn't rightly divide it and teach it in its context, if I just went up there and shot from the hip and I just shared whatever I wanted to share about the, what's going on in the world and things like that, you know, then um, God's going to judge me in a stricter fashion. And so I have to teach the word accurately. And if you're a teacher, you also are more accountable in the way you live your life. Verse 18, it says, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. Poverty, shame to those who disdain they they don't consider that correction they won't even consider it they they don't respect or regard anyone's rebuke upon their life and what ends up happening it's not just physical poverty or physical shame it ends up being spiritual poverty which is far worse or spiritual shame you know the the, the interesting thing about this verse look at verse 18 again is remember we learned when we started in chapter 10 that this is called an antithetical parallelism this is what this is when you study hebrew poetry it's good to know what the verses are so these are you know two lines that um that are antithetical to each other it says right here in verse 18 but he who regards a rebuke will be honored and so it teaches us that if we're open to correction we'll be honored no doubt by god and others and so we need to pay attention to the rebukes of life. If we do, then we can shun the shame. And to me, like, to be honored, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's not a big deal to be honored by men. But it is a big deal to put a smile on God's face. And so when I listen to correction, when I humble myself and listen to rebukes, and it comes from many different uh, places, I know I've had times where, you know, you're talking to someone after service and they come up and, and they're telling you things that maybe you said wrong or just things that I need to do or I better straighten up because I'm a pastor, you know. And I, I've had conversations with so many different people over the years and literally being yelled at in the sanctuary, you know, and that's the life, right, that goes with the territory. And if I wanted to, I could be like, all prideful and like who are you talking to me but none of us should be that way you know so i'm not saying that i do this uh, correctly all the time but i as i read my proverb and i'm studying them i'm learning more and more god help me to be open because when someone criticizes you nine times out of ten there's some truth to it so you sift through it what they're saying is there any truth to this and then, like Charles Swindoll said, you, he said you sift, and then you shift, and then you sail. You just, you just keep going. But if we don't listen to the correction, because a lot of times we have blind spots that other people see and we don't see, we're, we're, we're hurting ourselves. Charles Bridges said this about correction. He said, little do those who refuse it know what a blessing they cast away. And so verse 19, it says, a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. But it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. And so a desire accomplished. 
Now, one of the, the things about life that I wish someone would have told me and I'm still struggling in is to finish what you start. You know, and for you guys that are here, it's a really good thing. Finish what you start. Don't start anything unless God tells you to start it. And if you start it, finish it. You know, because I think when you read the Proverbs, there's a lot of lessons in that whole area of diligence. I, I think we have a lot of unfinished projects in life. And so uh, a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. You know, we could think of a lot of things maybe that you've done. You're like, man, that was really cool. Like, I'll never forget the day that I read the whole Bible with my family. Think about it from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible. We read it. I mean, it was hard, you know, but it took years. But man, to me, uh, I think that, you know, when I die or get raptured, I, I can honestly say it. And I'm not saying that everybody has to do that. I don't want to be no legalistic pastor. But I can honestly say that in my life, when I die, to me, that's one of the greatest joys I have ever had is to be able to read the whole Bible with my family. That was sweet to my soul. You know, another thing, and it can be so many things. I'll tell you guys just some things off the top of my head. Like the Holy Spirit had been telling me, go visit Margaret, go visit Margaret, go visit Margaret. And for whatever reason, it just never happened until one day she called and she said, do you want to visit? <laughs> it was cool. Thank you, Lord. And I went to visit her and it just is sweet to the soul. My wife and I did just really cool. You know, I was listening to a study by Pastor Chuck and he was talking about how he was making a playhouse for his kids, a clubhouse. It was two stories, and uh, it was actually for his granddaughters. And uh, I, I just—he was just saying that he's just about finished with it. All he has to do now is carpet it. And he was just talking about how uh, a great, what a great feeling it was, because it was motivated by, by the Lord. You know, I, I want to do this for them. And it's just so sweet uh, to the soul. But again, uh, I, that's one thing I, I want to mention that. But here's where, um, remember we're talking about antithetical parallelism? Here's where it's really helpful. Look again at the verse. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. So when you look at this verse, and here's something, they're, they're compared side by side. You look at the latter portion, what you find right here is it means this, that, you know, the fool, he, he doesn't want to leave evil. He, he doesn't want to depart from evil. And so more than likely, the desire that's accomplished is departing from evil. That's what happens when you look at poetry and you, you see it for what it is, you start looking at it from both ends, and you realize, well, that's easy to understand. You know, the, the fool, he doesn't want to depart from evil. You know, but, but when you do, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. You know, I, 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 I was blessed uh, this uh, morning I, I reading an email from a dear sister who's been attending this church for, I, I don't know if it's four years now, and she was saying that it's been four years of sobriety, a desire accomplished. You know, maybe you're here and you're struggling with an addiction, and God's going to give you victory. You know, I was thinking about Matthew, the tax collector, how he departed from evil when Jesus said, come and follow me. And he left his tables, he left his 
money where that was his God and he followed the Lord. You know, what is it that God is, has next for you? Because maybe you're here and you're not, you know, smoking and chewing and, you know, whatever, and drinking and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we all have something that God is working on. I mean, I was listening to that song, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was just about overcoming. And, you know, I used to be this type of person, but God helped me overcome. Uh, I used to struggle with my self-identity, but God helped me overcome. Uh, I used to, when you name, you fill in the blank, but God helped me overcome. And so what is it that's next? I, I pray that God would give us the grace to be able to accomplish that desire not that we ever arrived don't get me wrong but there's a difference between living uh, um you know a, a life that's just defeated man the enemy has you and a life that has a consistency about you verse 20 it says he who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will be destroyed so there's no way around this you know, um, the Spanish is dime de con quien andas. Tell me who you're, you're hanging out with. Tell me who you're walking with. And I'll tell you who you are. Right? And so what we're seeing here, and I, I just want you guys to know that what a difference this makes. I was thinking about that king, Joash, in Second Kings chapter 12. I encourage you, when you read that, when you get a chance, or or second chronicles 23 that's the 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 whole view of these kings from a priestly perspective so that one gives you more insight but this uh, young uh, kid was made king at the age of seven but his whole life he was poured into by a man named jehoiada he was a priest and uh the whole time that this guy was in his life he did good as a matter of fact, the Bible says in 2 Kings 12, verse 2, And Jehoash did what that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the moment that guy, that godly influence died, Joash went crazy, man. And next thing you know, he's just out there. He's not serving the Lord anymore. And so he ended up getting murdered. There's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. I encourage you guys, look it up on YouTube or on uh, iTunes. It's called Walk with the Wise. And you may not like the music. You may sing, I don't like that twanging guitar stuff. But you got to listen to the words. This is what he said. Because, you know, we're talking about wisdom. Now, just because you're old, it doesn't mean you have wisdom. Just because you have life's experiences, it doesn't always mean you have wisdom. Wisdom is a combination of the Bible and life experiences. It's a combination of walking with people who have been good and godly influences. And sometimes you, you're with people and they, they give you great advice. Or you, sometimes you have friends and you like them a lot because they're really loyal to you. But let me ask you a question. Do they give you the scriptures? Give me the chapter. Give me the verse of what you're telling me because you really need to make sure that that's who you're surrounding yourself with and, and when you walk with wise people the bible says right here he who walks with wise men will be wise right 
And so Stephen Chris Jamini said this. He said, I prayed a prayer for wisdom, just like a farmer prays for rain, because I know that I must have it to survive in this life. And I stared out in the distance because it seemed so far away. And I waited for the lightning, but the lightning and the thunder never came. They never came. So I took a look beside me, to my left and to my right. I saw people full of wisdom all around in my life. And it started to come clear. I began to understand that my prayer was being answered. It's all part of God's plan that if we walk with the wise, then we will grow wise. Whoa, 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 that song. You guys remember that song? And if we walk in the light, then our path will be right. There's somebody who's already been where we must go. And in the light of what they've learned, we find that we will grow wise if we walk with the wise. Verse 21, it says, Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. And so the way it works in life, in one sense, because we're born sinners, is that we kind of first pursue evil, and then evil pursues us. You guys remember Cain? Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis. Uh, Cain uh, offered to God his offerings, but it was just kind of a religious thing. It wasn't really by faith. And so what ends up happening is uh, uh, Cain uh, offers this to God and God says you know what I really can't accept it because you're not you don't really believe in me you don't believe in me really believe in me and so uh, the Lord said to him in Genesis 4 in verse 6 why are you angry just because I'm telling you the truth why has your countenance fallen why are your face the way it is if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not do well then sin lies at the door and his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God was telling Cain, he was warning Cain, he was warning him, listen, you don't really believe in God. You don't really believe. Hebrews chapter 11 says he, did, he didn't offer it by faith. And so what ends up happening is God comes and he says, hey, you know, you're in a heavy situation because this sin, it wants to rule over you. But you need to rule over it. In other words, the sin was pursuing him. The sin was after him. And then you guys know what happened, though. He didn't listen to God. And then Cain killed Abel. And he ruined his life. You know, um, I remember before I was a Christian, I, I don't really know the details, but there was a movie out there. It was called Fatal Attraction. And there was this uh, guy, and he had an affair with a gal, and he thought, I could just do it. You know, I probably did it a million times beforehand, but, man, this time he ended up with the wrong girl because she just would not let him go. I mean, she was just after him. And that's what sin is. Evil, you pursue it, but you watch how it pursues you. But notice again, it says in verse 21, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. And so the antithetical parallelism teaches us that if we pursue good, if we pursue and follow God, then good will follow us. What does the Bible say in Psalm 23, verse 6? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
So you pursue good, and you watch how it pursues you. Verse 22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And so I think it's good, a practical principle, whenever possible, to leave an inheritance for our family. Uh, how awesome it would be if we were able to extend that to our grandchildren. You know, I'm hoping and praying that that works out for us. I told you guys before that I we received an inheritance, and so we don't have to worry about it because it's so hard nowadays. You know, um, and hopefully that extends over to our children as well. But really looking at this, however, it's not necessarily a universal statement. For many good men and women have no material inheritance to leave their children, much less their grandchildren. And so here's the thing. Even if we don't have a lot of money or a lot in life, if we're saved, we can leave them spiritual riches and a godly heritage. Because you guys also know, huh? And just the Lord has to show you, but you might have a lot of money and you can give it all to your kids and that might ruin them. So it's better to leave them a godly heritage. Now, if you can do both and hopefully people are able to handle it and handle it well, it's a blessing. But we know Abraham, by faith, because of his faith, he left his covenanted inheritance to his children's children. What a gift godly grandparents can be. But Grandma, Grandpa, you have to be strong. You have to be strong. Sometimes I see some grandparents or some parents, and it doesn't seem like they're really strong in their faith. It really doesn't seem like they're leading their children or their grandchildren. I know some men in this church and some women in this church, they are amazing. They are what I would call matriarchs and patriarchs. And, I, and I, if I told you who they were, I mean, I know Henry, other people, they would say, yeah, she has such a big influence, impact on her family. Because that matriarch or that patriarch, or that grandma, that grandpa, they are strong in their faith. And that's what we want to give our kids, huh? And so we see here uh, next in verse uh, 22, again, that the wealth of the sinner is stored up for uh, the righteous. And so sometimes we see this. Uh, when you read the Bible, you'll notice that uh, Jacob inherited the wealth of Laban. You'll see how Israel plundered Egypt after 400 years of slavery. The first you read in Genesis chapter 30, the second in Exodus 12, 36. Imagine that, Israel getting all their treasures. The Canaanites' riches were eventually given to Israel when Joshua conquered the land. And even how someone like Haman's wealth was given to Esther and Mordecai in Esther chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And so, you know, you look around and people are rich, but it's only for a season. Eventually, you guys, you know what we are as Christians? You know who we are? We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. And so eventually we get all the riches. It's really cool. All the hot Cheetos you watch. Verse 23, it says, Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. 
And so what he's saying here is the poor farmer, he works hard because he must sustain himself. And he is dependent on his own exertion. And so, you know, you've got a lot of food there. And so a lot of us, we see in the Proverbs frequently how important it is to work hard. But then there are those who lack, it says here, justice, or they lack judgment. Same Hebrew word. In the administration of their land or resources, and oftentimes that mismanagement ends up in waste. You know, I think about how uh, Joseph, what a great uh, difference he made because he managed the affairs of Egypt well. After the seven years of prosperity, he knew there would be seven years of famine. And so we have to make sure that we manage these things well and, uh, and not waste things. Even Jesus. Did you guys know that Jesus didn't waste the leftovers? How many of you guys here throw away your leftovers? <laughs> In America, it's crazy how much food we throw away. But Jesus, when he multiplied the fish and he made those amazing fish tacos, after it was all done, they had 12 baskets left over. And you know what Jesus said? Gather up the fragments. Make sure that nothing is wasted. Verse 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And so um, there's a lot here. I'm going to read this from Charles Bridges because I don't want to mess it up. But please, it, it, especially if you're a parent, please listen to what he says. He says, Among the many modern theories of education, how often is God's system overlooked? Yet this should be our pattern and standard. The rod of discipline is its main character, not harsh severity, but a wise, considerate, faithful application. Man often spares the rod because he loves the child. This at least he calls love. But is not our father's love to his children inconceivably more than that of an earthly parent? Yet he does not spare the rod. Whoever the Lord loves, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, he chastens. No, listen, he who spares his rod hates his child. Does he not act at least as if he hated him, omitting a duty so necessary for his welfare, winking at the indulgence of vicious habits and a wayward will, so surely issuing in bitter sorrow? Is not his delivering up to his worst enemy? The discipline of our children, this is a really cool statement, the discipline of our children must therefore commence with the discipline of ourselves. And so if you have children, um, I, I pray you would do it God's way, not the world's way or not your way. If they need a spanking, you do it in love, you explain it to them, but you take that rod and you apply it to their seat of understanding. Right here. That's why God gave them padding. You guys know that, right? You don't bruise them, you don't beat them, you don't batter them, but you do apply that rod of correction. We need to remember that all our children are children of Adam. So they're fallen and they're naturally inclined toward evil they're depraved and the bible says in proverbs 22 verse 15 that foolishness is bound up in their hearts notice again what he says right here you parents it's very important he who spares his rod hates his son but he who loves him disciplines him promptly 
And that word, it, it could mean right away, but more than likely it means that you do it when they're young. If you try to discipline them when they're older, it, it's almost too late. I'm not saying you, you can't or you shouldn't try, but it's so much better when you discipline them to obey when they're young. Verse 25, it says, The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. And so this can be talking about a, a great meal of fellowship with God and, and others. Huh? What a, a blessing that is. Um, sometimes when you get together with your friends and they're, they're, you know that they made that meal motivated by love. It is just such a beautiful thing. There's that satisfying of the soul. But it can also be that concept of contentment, right? When, when God feeds you, it doesn't have to be filet mignon, right? I mean, think about Elijah. When Elijah was fed first by the ravens and afterwards by a widow, while the wicked country of Israel was hungry. You see, the difference is God. And that's the key to everything. You know, this speaks of contentment, I think, however, beyond food for the stomach. What we're talking about here is food for the soul. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes, it speaks frequently of the fact that all the world has to offer can never bring satisfaction to our soul. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. You know, I mentioned this to you earlier, and, and it's just to me when I read this verse, uh, that the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. I mean, they're just never, they're never satisfied. A lot of Christians, they have this mentality that if I could just get a little more, if I could just make a little more, I'll be content. And let's just say God gives you that little more. I'll bet you a million dollars that that thought returns. If I can just get a little more, then I'll be content. I encourage you to read the, the works of someone like Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China. And one day he was uh, there and there was a poor beggar lady who had no food and he went to pray for her. And, and God just began to convict him because um, as he's praying for her, a little coin fell out of his pocket. But it was all he had. But what he did was he was convicted and he gave that coin to the, the lady because God told him, hey, here you are praying for her that God's going to provide for her and you don't trust me to provide for you. And so he gave her all the money he had and the next day he got 10 times the amount in the mail because God would provide for him for the rest of his life. He went on to establish mission schools, and man, by the time he had passed, there was 100,000 Christians in China. And so he learned, basically, how to be content. You know, Socrates said, he who is not content with what he has would not be content with what he wants. 
And for the Christian, I think at the end of the day, and here's where we wrap it up, you guys, we know that satisfaction really is found only in Jesus Christ. Do you have him? Do you know him? Are you walking with him? Are you in fellowship with him? If you are, then there's a sweetness of your life. You know, I'm not saying that we, we don't pursue other things and, you know, God will lead us and guide us in all those things. But, but that the righteous, they eat that bread of life. They drink those living waters to the satisfaction of their soul. The Bible says in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Sometimes I see people, even in the church, and I look at them, and I, I wonder, and I, I honestly, I don't think they really hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger and thirst for the other things, all the things the world has to offer, and they will never, ever find peace or contentment or satisfaction. Jesus, and only Jesus, will give you that. And so I pray we would never forget and that we would find our contentment in Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen.